Nelly was on the call for Sunday's Yankees game on WFAN. How did he do? We'll hear his mock Yankees home run calls. Does Davey Garcia win the fifth starter spot? What will Domingo Herman's role be for the Yankees? Should we be concerned with a backup catcher if El Gary is no bueno? We'll chat with the host of Talking Yanks podcast and a must follow on Twitter. It's Jimmy O'Brien, a.k.a. John Boy. All that plus another Q&J is next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello, welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran with Yankees great Jeff Nelson. New episodes drop on Mondays all March, then Mondays and Thursdays when the season begins. We'll chat later in the show with Jimmy O'Brien, a.k.a. John Boy, host of Talking Yanks podcast. But Nelly, we got to start with you on the call for Sunday's Yankee game on the radio on WFAN with Ricky Ricardo. First of all, what was the experience like? I know you've done it, you've done it for the Marlins, but calling a game for the Yankees, what was that like for you, bud? Well, besides tweeting out and telling everyone who I was doing it with, and you got the uh, Ethel and Fred Mertz comments of <laughs> Lucy going to be there. I didn't bring it up to him because I'm sure he heard that about a million times and, before. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I feel bad for Susan and John because they're never at the stadium. They weren't at the stadium last year. They weren't, they're not going to have a chance to be at the stadium this year in spring training. This was the first time that, you know, we were able to be at a stadium and see fans and see live baseball. You know, it was, it was great. And, and to be able to, you know, I root for the Yankees all the time. And, and just from my experiences in New York and being able to call the game and call it with Ricky, it was it was outstanding. Hopefully it leads to more. I am going to do two more games this spring, and that's on the 25th and the 28th. Both of them are in Clearwater against the Phillies and Joe Girardi. But it's it's so much fun. You know, I just love Yankee baseball. I love doing the radio or TV and any opportunity. I mean, it was just fun to be out there. Yeah, Ricky does the Eagles Spanish call. Right. Too. He's got a huge Eagles Super Bowl ring. I don't know if he was sporting that. No, he said he doesn't wear it because it cuts his fingers. I mean, football rings are so much bigger <laughs> than baseball anyway. He goes, I can't wear these things because he asked me, he says, you ever wear your rings? I said, not very often. And he goes, I can't wear, I have one from the, you know, the Jets and I can't wear it because uh, it cuts my fingers. Wow. Yeah, he, he showed it to me in the Yankees uh, press room. He was wearing it one time, and I was just like, oh, my God. It, it, it's just the entire Eagle logo full of diamonds. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Jeff, I got to ask you, we know John Sterling has been giving these home run calls his entire career, and they get more colorful year after year. So if you had to call a home run, do you have one maybe in your back pocket? That you I had to think. Out? You guys took me out by surprise. So, you know, I would do with a Brett Gardner, I would say, Brett Gardner, wow, he just rearranged the guy's landscaping on that pitch. <laughs> and that's why Jeff will be keeping his day job. And that's why I do the color and I analyze the game and I will not call the home run. I'll leave that to Ricky Re Ricardo. <laughs> Re rearranged his landscaping. Okay. All right, All Brett right. Gardner, Gardner. Come on, guys. Yeah, the, uh, let's move on. It's a Gardy party? I don't know. We've heard that one. Well, <laughs> well I know that. I'm, just, I'm not going to steal it from John. I like the creativity. It was just a little long, I feel like, too many words. Yeah. 
I'm kind of partial to Brett the Hitman Gardner, like Brett the Hitman Hart. But anyway, you talked about the stadium vibe, fans being in the fans being in the stands, just being at a game physically. It, was it kind of feeling that things were starting to get back to normal for you calling this game, Jeff, with all those factors? Yeah, you know, we, uh, before the game, Ricky and I went down and we saw Buck Martinez because the Blue Jays are going to start their season in Dunedin, and, and they're kind of hoping that they only play their first two series there. And they're hoping that maybe there's a chance that Canada opens up and they go back and play their home games at the Rogers Stadium. I think that's a, uh, a pipe dream right now. But uh, because I think they only have Dunedin until low A opens up. So I think it's only until June or July 1st. And then I think they're going to wind up going to Buffalo again because that's when the, wa- the weather will warm up. They don't want to start there right away. And I know the Yankees actually go down and play in Dunedin. It might be their second or third series, maybe their third series. They play Toronto at home to open up. And then I don't know who they play after that. And then they go to, I think, Dunedin to play the Blue Jays. So it's, I think guys are starting to feel a little bit of a normalcy you know luckily and knock on wood that the the amount of positive tests for covid throughout baseball have been really low there have been very few which thank god i don't want to see anything that happened last year when you have teams that are missing two weeks because they're stuck at a hotel and and because they had an outbreak on the team hopefully that doesn't happen Uh, you see it through the ncaa where teams had to drop out but it, it did. It felt really good to be at a stadium and see fans, whether it was a sold-out crowd or 1,800, you know, whatever they had there that day. It was it was nice to see baseball again and in some set of normalcy. Yeah, and, you know, it just feels like we're taking a step or two closer to getting back to normal, especially, you know, with the vaccinations that are happening. Our own producer, Jake Brown, uh, he got his first shot. He had a little bit of a BMI issue, and uh... oh, that's right. He's that's it. Yeah, remember? Yeah, he said, "Oh, my arm is sore. I got a shot." I'm like, "Oh, how old are you?" I was actually fine. I think the second one, I'm a little worried, but uh, you know, the the overdose of bacon, egg, and cheese in my life has caused a high BMI. New York special. We would love to continue to talk about Jake being a quote unquote obese, which he's not, but according to scales. He is. I am, too, for some reason. But anyway, we're not going to talk about our weights, Nelly. We're going to talk about the Yankees down at spring training. And, you know, we were knocking on wood last Monday that everything was going swimmingly with the Yankees. And not a day later, after our podcast dropped, Zach Britton dropped himself on the old I.L., And uh, he's going to be lost for a little bit of time here for the Yankees. So that was some bad news. But other than Britain going down, it's been kind of status quo for the Yankees, Nelly. And we're talking about the fifth starter spot. To me, you know, I think this is going to be, it's kind of going to be like an amoeba. I I think the Yankees are just going to handle this with the depth that they have at the starting, with starting pitching. I think they have a, a wealth, an embarrassment of riches right now with their depth to go into that fifth starting role. But there are two candidates making it very hard on Aaron Boone right now. That one of them is Davey Garcia, and the other one, who's Domingo Herman, who pitches Monday against the Phillies. Yeah, you know, I, I watched Davey yesterday, and he looked okay. You know, he pitched three and he only gave up the one earned, unearned run. 
He looked fair. You know, his slider's a work in progress. If he's getting over his off speed, then he'll have a lot of success. If he can't get over his off speed for strikes, then that's when he's going to struggle because he, he's a 92 to 94 mile an hour fastball guy. So he does, it's a decent fastball, but when you're throwing your off speed over and, you ha- and the hitters have to respect that, then his fastball becomes a little harder because he likes to pitch up in the zone. Uh, I think it, I think they would love. I think for me, in my opinion, I think the Yankees would love for him to take that fifth starter role, and that way they can put Herman in the bullpen. I th- I don't see Cruz, uh, Cruz. I don't see Garcia going to the bullpen if he doesn't get that fifth spot. He probably goes to the alternate spot, alternate uh, location, and and Herman winds up taking that. I mean, you're going to need. I, I think obviously more than just five starters this year. You know, you hope Tyone. They're going to wind up doing something as far as either skipping him at certain times and, and being able to keep yeah. him healthy throughout the season. You hope Kluber stays healthy throughout the year. He threw well and his four inning stint just a, a couple of days ago. So it, it is a good battle and it's a good problem for the Yankees to have when you have a number of guys fighting for that fifth spot. But at the same time, you have a number of guys with a lot of health issues. And what I saw from Garcia yesterday, you know, he's going to have three more starts and you just want to build on that. I think by the end, he'll wind up throwing, you know, his last start, maybe get close to 100 pitches. So he'll be ready to go. But he's he's a you know, he's a really nice kid and a really good looking, good looking kid as far as a, a great arm. And I would like to see these last three starts for spring him just continue to prove in that off speed control. Yeah, I think last year did a lot for his buildup and for his confidence, uh, especially taking the Yankees out of the doldrums when he went to Buffalo against the Blue Jays and ended a Yankees losing streak and actually started them on a 10-game winning streak. That really turned the Yankees' season on a dime, and it was the rookie Garcia getting that start up in Buffalo and holding the Blue Jays to just two runs over seven innings back then. And Domingo Herman's the other guy, and he's... He's an interesting situation, Nelly, because to me, he's got a lot to prove on the field and off the field. The only thing that concerns me is how he was so wishy-washy on his social media, on his Instagram, and he, he talked about that in his opening press conference with the media this year, how he has to handle that better. I just want to see if he could be able to flourish in any role, whether it's being that fifth starter or in the bullpen, as you mentioned, could he have a monster year in either role amongst the distractions that are going to come at him? Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles this. I mean, you got because... you got booed for being traded for crying. Yeah, out. yeah, there are going to be fans in the stands this year, and in some of them, and I think as the summer goes on, I think there's going to be more and more fans, and that's everywhere in baseball. Maybe even New Yorkers, if he's not pitching well at Yankee Stadium, they're going to let him have it, and they're going to bring up the pass. That's just what fans do. And how how he's going to handle that is is going to be a, a, a work in progress. You know, if he doesn't handle it very well, then it's not going to go well for him. And, and you know, he might be have a hard time pitching in the big leagues again if he can't handle it. He's got to expect that it's going to happen at some point, especially when you go on the road. But he's got a great arm. Uh, you know, he, he can pitch in multiple roles. He can be that swing guy. I think he can handle the bullpen. He can give you three or four innings. He can spot start if you need it. If, if say, you need a start for Tyone, you want to skip him, or a Kluber uh, needs a day's rest, or, you know, maybe that fifth role, whether it's Garcia or whoever, uh, just doesn't wind up panning out. He can slide into that role. So he's got so much value to him. It's just a matter, can he handle the off off the field pressures of whether it's the media or the fans bringing up what he did.
Let's move on to the guy that will be receiving pitches from either one of those fifth starters, and that's Gary Sanchez, who's hitting 278 this spring. He's got three home runs, three of his five hits, uh, Jeff, are home runs. He, he looks like he's getting back to the old Gary beside the plate, and his defense looks a lot better, too, behind it. But is there a concern for you if Gary gets hurt, doesn't hit bad defense with the backup role because Kyle Higashioka is off to a slow start? I know we don't put a lot of stock into spring training numbers. We can't get too excited about Gary's 278 and three homers, and we can't get all wound up about Higgy's slow start as well. I think he's three for 17 or something like that, or two for 17. But with Robinson Chirinos hurt, and Rob Brantley, as the insurance, he's a 31-year-old journeyman, really. He's only played in 127 career games. So what are your concerns with the catching position for the Yankees here? Well, I think Torino's injury is bigger than people think. You know, I know he came in as a non-roster, but he was a guy that caught Cole before in, in Houston, so they were very comfortable with each other. Plus, he's a Latin player that I think would have been able to communicate with Gary Sanchez a lot more and, and maybe give him a lot more help and, and maybe overcome some, whether it was some mental demons or whatever Gary Sanchez has as far as not producing behind the plate and, and at the plate. Uh, I think that loss, he probably would have made the team as that backup. And with him and his fractured wrist, he's not. They're going to have to go to Hagoshiaka. And he's 31, he's a backup, and that's all you look for. You know, you look for a guy that can receive the ball. You know, whether he doesn't have a lot of offense you're not worried about that part he'll hit you a home run on occasion but but you want to back up with Gary you know spring training him having a great spring builds a lot of confidence because he can leave spring saying you know what I, I did a lot I had a lot of positives whether it's behind the plate or at the plate he leaves spring with with a, a huge confidence level that he can carry into opening day that opening series against the Blue Jays could tell his whole year. If he goes out and struggles the first four games, then it's okay, here we go again. And that's what he has to battle. And that's what he's been battling for the last last few years. I'm not looking at a spring. I hope he continues to, to hit well and, and dominate at the plate and, and keep receiving well and, and improving behind the plate. Once that opening series starts, if he gets off to a good start, then I think he can have a monster year because then the confidence will continue and the times that he does go 0 for 4 or 0 for 10 can quickly you know, turn around and go 5 for 10. So that opening series is what I'm going to look for as far as for Gary Sanchez and the rest of his year. Well, to close out before a and j I got to say, Aaron Boone is awesome. I mean, the guy gets a pacemaker and he's feeling awesome. I get a new pillow and I'm complaining about my neck today. And it was a nice comfy pillow. I mean, the, the grit in this guy to come back days later after a pacemaker and essentially not complain. I mean, I don't know. I, I get hurt on a walk to the bodega. So shout out to Aaron Boone for uh, recovering quick. Well, you were complaining about a shot in your arm, and I thought we were t we had a 10-year-old producer. I was like, you got to be kidding me. But that's just, how about medicine? I mean, two days later, he's back, and he's back in the dugout managing a baseball team. And we're talking about when pacemakers first came out, people were connected to them. They, they were plugged into the wall, for crying out loud. These yeah. things were huge. They were like copy machines, and people <laughs> couldn't leave a room. And now Aaron Boone is out of the damn hospital in 48 hours, and he's managing the Yankee managerial job. Just because of the stress with the job and, and winning championships is like the ultimate goal every season— 
put that into the into the kitty here with Boone coming back so fast. And he's saying, and as Jake said, Jeff, he's saying he feels tremendous. He, he feels like he has more energy. He fe- he's bouncing around. The guy is my age. He's 47 years of age, has a pacemaker, managing the Yankees, and the way he handles the media, the way he handles everything is just fantastic. I took melatonin yeah, last night, and I feel like crap this morning. Like, come on. <laughs> What did you say? Mel- I said I took melatonin last night, and I felt like I got hit by a train this morning. This guy's got a pacemaker. The BMI that you have going on, <laughs> you start decreasing that a little bit, and the ladies might like you a little more, too. Uh, maybe I'll go vegan. Who knows? Well, let's, let's not go that far. Yeah, All right, coming up next. Coming up next, as I said, we're not dealing with someone here in my partner who lacked confidence or lacked swagger. Jeff Nelson always brought it to the mound, and we questioned Jeff with Q&J next, right here on the Pinstripe Pod about his Yankees career. It's now time for me and producer Jake Brown to ask Nelly a few questions about his time in Pinstripes. It's Q&J time, and my first one, Nelly, for you is, after a game, you want to go out, you want to have a nice dinner and a nice meal. Who is your favorite teammate to go hang out with, grab a bite, maybe oh. a couple of drinks with? Oh, my goodness. There's not one because everybody everybody hangs together. So it would probably be the bullpen guys. We would take the bullpen catcher out when I was with the Yankees, who was Mike Borzello. And then we would uh, our catching instructor, it was Gary Tuck, would go out with us. And a few, like Graham Lloyd would go or... We would, but Brian Bowringer, Mariano didn't go out too much with everyone. Neither did Mike Stanton. He kind of stayed by himself, but it was bullpen guys. I mean, you just didn't go out with one guy, you know, it was a group. And then everybody had their little clicks, but at the end of the night, everybody would wind up being at the same place. So wherever we were, whether it was back at the hotel, somebody's hotel room or in, an, in another establishment, we probably had 15, 18 guys that were all together. That's just how the Yankee team was. Nelly, Mariano Rivera is obviously, you know, regarded as by some as the greatest closer of all time. What made him so great outside of his cutter and, you know, obviously his statistics? What made him great? You saw him every day in the bullpen. You saw him warm up. You saw his demeanor. What made him special? Well, he should be the greatest closer by all, by everyone, uh, you know, for one. And anyone that has an issue that, oh, back in the day, we went three innings for a save should say, you know what? Well, this this guy probably could be the only one that'd be able to do that in baseball. You can take Trevor Hoffman, who was a great closer and a Hall of Famer, but the, Mariano might be the only guy to be able to go three innings and do what the old school guys did. You know what made him special is that he had a short memory. And as a reliever, you have to have a short memory. If you go and give up the game, if you don't have a great outing, you cannot carry that into the next day. And a lot of relievers, a lot of pitchers, a lot of players, position players do that. They take their last game and carry it right into that game at hand. And he, he was something, he didn't show emotion. And he's like, listen, I messed up the game. I mean, you look at 97, we went to, after winning the World Series in 96. He gave up the uh, big hit to Sandy, Sandy Alomar. Alomar. We lose. He comes back the next year, you know, and, and he's the greatest closer again. Look at 01, 01. I mean, he lost. He gave up the hit to Luis Gonzalez to lose the World Series. You know, he comes back and he and he and he's dominant again. He knows I he knows that he can't be perfect. So he was a perfect example for not just myself because I watched that as well. I mean, I was an emotional guy, but I and I was hard on myself if I didn't if I didn't do well that night. But I had to have a short memory because I wanted to get back in there and help my team win. And that's what he was all about. And I think he was a great example for everyone. 
He was the head of the snake out there for sure, Nelly. Uh, did you guys, there, there's always some friendly competition, especially within your own team. How much did you all out there during that run, during the dynasty, did you push each other in that bullpen? And how much was Mariano a part of that pushing everybody? Well, I don't know if it was pushing, but I think it was the matter that everybody knew the job that they had to do. And and we knew our roles, whether it was Graham Lloyd and myself, Mike Stanton and myself, Mendoza was a key part of that as far as getting it, getting the ball to us. I mean, he was a guy that could go multiple innings. And we put together however many outs we could get for those six outs in the seventh, eighth inning. And then we hand it over to the greatest closer. And if we ever did get in trouble, well, we had the greatest closer to come in and, and bail us out. So we took pride in those innings that we were going to go and, and try to help our team win, whether it's get a starter out of a jam or another reliever out of a jam. And we took pride in that. And, and it wasn't just, uh, we just didn't do it to, for the fans, but we knew, hey, this was our role. It's just like a position player, whatever their role was in that lineup or on the field, they took pride and say, hey, this is my job. And at the end of the day, you look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, you know what? I did my job. I did everything I could to help my team win. And that's what we were all about. We knew we had a great bullpen. We had great starters that were able to get us deep in the bullpen and eliminate a lot of outs that you don't see happen nowadays. So, you know, we just took pride in what we had to do and, and our job in that inning. And we knew exactly who we were going to face at certain times. We started looking at the scoreboard saying, all right, here comes Frank Thomas or Juan Gonzalez or Pudge Rodriguez, or whether it was a lefty, a big lefty, you knew Stanton was going to come in and face him. So we knew at the time and tried to map out, okay, when we were going to hear that phone ring. All right, Nelly, last one for you before you guys chat with John Boy. What happened in the end of your career? You had a elbow surgery. You tried to get back. Can you take us through the timeline and maybe after the surgery, you trying to pitch again? Yeah, well, I didn't pitch again after the surgery. You know, I went to, I spent my whole year career in the American League, but my last year I went to the Cardinals in spring training. I might have had my best spring. Through nine innings, only gave up one hit, and Tony LaRusso was putting me in every situation. It seemed like I faced a thousand lefties. <laughs> and they wound up, uh, and that was the year they went to the World Series, so I could have got another ring then. I was like, what the heck? But, you know, they wound up releasing me, and I was like, okay, they went with, you know, Adam Wainwright. He was a, he was a young guy back then. They went with him instead. I went home to Seattle, and all of a sudden the White Sox saw me say, hey, you want to still play again? I said, absolutely. Went, to, went down to camp. And, you know, during the year, I started getting some numbness in my first two fingers. And, you know, it was, it was not good because I'd wind up hitting guys. And they took my, my ulnar nerve was getting pinched off and I was losing a lot of feeling. They went in, they, they, it wasn't Tommy John, but they, it was called ulnar nerve transposition where they take your ulnar nerve and just move it out of the groove. And it was, I was going to be 40 years old and that's when I wanted to stop. And I wasn't able to come back. I had a lot of atrophy in my hand and, you know, unfortunately, the White Sox were such a great organization. And once June hit, I had the surgery and I didn't play anymore. Shearney, do you see that? His last year could have been beating my Mets in yes. the playoffs, and it would have been the <laughs> happiest thing in the world for him. He would have beat the Mets twice in his career for a title. Well, I could have. I should have got traded because the White Sox, I should have got traded in 05 from the Mariners to the White Sox, and the Mariners screwed that trade up. I would have had one World Series there. And I should have made the team as a Cardinal would have had another World Series. So you could have it, six World Series rings. I right could now. have. Yes, oh, exactly. Man. If All I would, right. so it wasn't. I, I don't know what happened. Sh Shearney, he went from uh, he went from six World Series rings to six packs of Bud Light exactly. in his post career. I'm going to channel John Sterling really quick since Nelly was in the Yankee booth this past weekend. Isn't it amazing how a Yankees podcast always goes to the Mets, Nelly? <laughs> always, Susan. 
Well, that's baseball, Susan. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's welcome in. He's the host of Talking Yanks and Talking Baseball podcast with John Boy Media. He's a great Twitter follow as well, at John Boy underscore. Jimmy, we're going to get to your unbelievable story with the building of your media empire a little bit later. But first, I'd really like to pick your brain about the 2021 Yankees. And the first thing, just a general question about them this year. Going into this season, what concerns you the most, Jimmy? Ooh, okay. We'll start we'll start off with concerns. You know, it's spring training, so I, I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. But it's the starting pitching, right? I mean, I like that they went out and got a lot of people. So, you know, you're always going to have someone go down with injury. And hopefully the people that don't and survive uh, perform well enough. Like, I'm really, really cynical on Kluber, probably more than I should be. Tyone's impressed me thus this far. It's hard for me to – hard to get me to believe that Severino will be starting pitcher to plug into a playoff start by the end of the season. It just feels like such a big ask to have him do that coming off Tommy John in, like, a, a shortened season. We've seen Sevy battle injuries to come back for the playoffs a lot. It's never gone – smoothly so I want to have faith in uh, Severino but I just think it's a, a, a big ask Kluber we'll see I have no idea what to expect there like if Kluber gets hurt in the second start it's a Tulowitzki situation I don't think anyone's going to be shocked which is a, a bad way to to go into it but if he's amazing if he's amazing I think he will be shocked so I think the odds are against him a little bit but I, like I said I'm very cynical so I'd say it's the starting pitching that's the biggest concern one world series in 20 years that's why all these concerns start popping up. And then you look at the teams that are going to be fighting them in the AL East. Toronto is one of them, might be one of the most athletic teams in, in baseball as far as their youth and how good they are. And then you have the Rays, which I think, in my opinion, I'm not a big fan of Chris Archer or Rich Hill, the two starters that they got. I don't know what they're going to add. They lost Morton and, and Snell. But because of that one World Series in 20 years, that, I think that's why all these concerns start popping up because you, it's not the typical Yankees that you expect back in the in the 90s or early 2000s. Yeah, and and I, you know, with the injury health that's happened the last couple of years, we're just we live in a Yankee fans live in a state of oh no, what next or who's going to get hurt? We we have such a defeatist attitude when it comes towards injuries and health. But the one World Series and just these playoff losses and each playoff loss, you know, when they lost, I didn't, I didn't feel like, man, if we, if we got to the World Series, we would have won it. Where, you know, there are some teams back in the day with the Yankees where I felt like they lost early on in the playoffs, but they really had a team to do that. 2017, I think, is the only team. But since then, 2018, 19, and 20, each playoff loss, I felt like I don't think they had enough in the tank to get through another series because of the lack of starting pitching depth and using the bullpen so much. So it's kind of – I'm hoping that this year feels different, and it's such a new rotation. You know, Garrett Cole, It's his, no one's pitched a full year in the rotation besides Montgomery, and the last time he did that was in – 2017 Domingo Herman as well but I mean that wasn't a full year because of the suspension so the rotation is it's such a it's so new even though this kind of team has been around since 2017 the pitching staff is completely new with Tanaka gone with half gone Paxton was only here two years CC's gone so and Seve hasn't been around so I don't know I'm just hoping the vibes during the season are, are a lot better but we'll, we'll have to see uh, I know that it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta happen sooner or later that's what it feels like because their, their team is so talented, but 
specialty. And I don't believe in the Rays that much this year. And I also don't believe in the Blue Jays pitching. Their lineup is as good as ever. And like you said, really young and athletic, but their pitching staff isn't even cut out for 162. So I do think the Yankees are one of the top two teams in the in the American League. So it should be an easy path to the playoffs, fingers crossed. That should be the case, Jimmy. But these guys always make fun of me and, and how passionate I get about this team. I've been a fan since the late 70s. Uh, I followed this team my entire life. And I get a little bent out of shape when things go wrong, as do you and, and Jake as well. The fact, and you brought it up in your answer, it's the starting pitching. But what concerns me with the starting pitching is if you're going to limit Tyone's innings, and if you're not sure about Kluber, and you brought up a very salient point with saying that he could be a Tulowitzki situation, which Yankee fans cringe at you saying that, but using the bullpen too much, especially early on in the season when you're trying to get into to the postseason and make a long run of the postseason and you're over a 162-game season this year, it's going to be even more difficult than last year. And now Zach Britton is out. So this all wrapped up has me in a glass case of emotion like Ron Burgundy. You know, it's the Yankees have had the wrong formula for playoff pitching. And I, I hope that with the amount of starting pitchers they have in the depth this year, like they can change it because the, the formula in the postseason is not to lean on your seven, eighth and ninth inning guy. And, and now they're all two inning relievers. It's to have so many starters that you move your fourth starter to the bullpen. The nationals moved Corbin to the bullpen. And when they won the world series, the Red Sox moved price and Devaldi to the bullpen when they won their world series, the, the, the plan is to, have so much extra starting pitching, like, you know, using Dustin May and your eyes out of the pen when you need to. That's the formula. So, you know, hopefully that's why if we'd limit expectations on Seve and we have him as, you know, a, a two to three inning guy now that he can be a bulk guy in the playoff game or he can or he can start, like that, that's what they need. And, and I'm hoping that Britain comes back healthy, but the game plan isn't, okay, let's double up the usage of our back end guys. I think it's hopefully it's, all right, Davey really showed us something. He's not a top four starter, but let's use him as a bolt guy. Or Domingo Herman struggled, but, you know, in, in one time through the order, we can really use him and throw him back into the bullpen or something like that. that or, you know, even Clark Schmidt, if that becomes his role, or, or Mike King. That's where I think they, they might be set up a little better because last year some of these younger arms got the chance to, to establish themselves or at least get a look at Major League Baseball. You know, maybe Nelson in the bullpen. He, he can he can eat some big innings, but that's where I'm hoping that the injuries don't come in too hard, and and then they have a plethora of starters because I think I think that's the formula. And, he, and Zach Britton himself said it after the 2019 season. He said, "This isn't we're not made to do this. Like we were gaffed." And CC Sabathia said it as well on his show. He said, you, know, "You can't use guys for two innings when they use them for one all year. Not everyone can be like Nelson and would you throw 79 pitches in in like 1995 or something like that out of the blue?" <laughs> yeah. I, I was gaffed too but, but i was running on fumes but the thing of it is is it's so funny you you are right you are right in a, in a sense and that's how the game has changed is as you look back i mean the old teams when we were winning when we won all those world series in a row we had really good starters and a pitch count really didn't matter as much you know we had guys that were going 115 120 pitches and and they could handle that i mean they did it the whole season and it limited our innings or it limited our amount of times that we had to come in a game. We were also pitching every day and, you know, we were throwing three, four days in a row. And 
and the analytics weren't as big as they are now. I think the analytics has to has a lot to do with you know what you're seeing now as far as hey you might need those starters you're right you, you might need starters in the bullpen when it comes time to playoffs whether whether it's a Cruz or a Herman or 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 a Schmidt or somebody to be able to fill those fill those roles because you're not seeing the starters go deep I mean once they get the third time around the lineup these managers think okay I got to pull these guys because this is what the book says and then all of a sudden you have Zach Britton or Chad Green saying oh they're exposing us too much well you're looking in your hat every single time and you're pitching the same way to get the same guy out that you've already faced the last two days you got to try to get them out differently but oh no they go on the card so you're right I mean it's it's you're going to need different guys down there and not just the same same starters because they keep their robotic is too robotic nowadays. And it's uh and it's a shame. And, and that's what sometimes they have to get over. Yeah. It's overexposure. And you're right. It's like, you know, they, they play that 60% rule. And you talk to some players now, they say, if you can tell me something happens 60% of the time, then I'm going to act on it. And so, you know, if this guy gets out 60% of the time on fastballs off high, then it works. But if he saw you last at bat and he know you did that to him, then he might be making adjustments. So it's, it's a little, I think there's benefits to that stuff, but there's also in playoffs when you see a guy three times in a short series, someone's got to make the adjustment. And uh, I think the onus is on the pitchers, especially when, when they're, you know, a lot of these pitchers only have one way to get guys out. So it's interesting. As a Yankee fan, Jimmy, is 2021 World Series or bust for the Yankees for you? Yeah, but that's every year, right? I mean, ever. I mean, 2017 was probably the first year where I really said, you know what, this is like a rebuild. There's a lot of young kids. Let's just enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, that turned into World Series or bust. So even when I, as a fan, I was allowing them not to be World Series or bust, they forced their hand and, and changed my mind. So yeah, I think. I mean, some people might say it's obnoxious Yankee fan talk, but I I do believe that that's the mindset, and they're good enough. They're they're like they're they're very talented and good enough to have that as the the goal or you know the only acceptable outcome well here's an interesting question that i would like i'm asking fans now and then with with shearney and jake as a met fan now that the mets have a new owner they've done a whole lot of things to make and improve their team and i think they probably could win the nl east and it could be a very interesting year for for the new york city in itself with the yankees and the mets do the yankee fans feel a lot of pressure now what the, if what the Mets have gone out and done, saying, uh-oh, we've always been the top guy in the city for the most part. And now the Mets are starting to turn it around. We've won one World Series in 20 years, and now the Mets are turning things, and they could possibly all of a sudden overtake what's happening in the city or, or, the, or the team favorites. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm excited that the Mets are going to be good. I think when, when New York has both baseball teams going, that's like the most exciting time for sports in the city. So I'm excited. I'm interested to see. They got a lot of talent, a lot of arms. I'm pretty. I'm. I'm also a big fan of like being battle tested. I think a lot of the World Series winners come from teams that got eliminated the year before, the year before, and have been through it. So I'm interested to see their first time since 2015 going deep into a playoff series if they get there. But until until the Mets uh, win the World Series, they're still the Mets. You know, they're, they're still the stepchild in New York. Well. Talent has not been their issue the last five years. They've they've had some of the best staffs, and last year they had one of some of the best offenses. I think the last four seasons the Mets have had a top ten bat in like 
according to like OPS and, and slugging and all that. So just because they they got better this year doesn't mean they were doesn't mean talent was there for the last couple of years. They just they're the Mets. They get in their own way. So we'll see if that if new ownership changes that, and it may. But I gotta I gotta see that before I believe it because there might be something dumb happening come August that we all laugh at and go, oh yeah, it's still the Mets. Yeah, Jimmy. Unfortunately, that's my life. It's just you know dildos in the clubhouse, batting out of order, all sorts of uh, <laughs> Mets problems. But the Wilpons are gone. So let's see if Steve Cohen can turn this thing around. You're John Boy Media has become a conglomerate. You know, a million dollars you guys got in funding. You've added Ian Happ to the roster of podcasts. How did this whole thing take off? Obviously, we all love your videos, your reactions. Was it the videos that did it? How did this whole thing uh, take off? Take us through the timeline, Jimmy. Yeah, I, well, I think it's a lot of things. And there's certain, you know, events that definitely, like, spike everything up. But we, we started as just a Yankees podcast and a hobby. And then I got, you know, a little bit of funding from a, a buddy who was in like that VC world who, who said, hey, I think there's something here. I think like, you know, if you if you go at this, we can build a little company around it. And for the first couple of years, it was just Yankees based and we were doing all right, but nothing crazy. So we said, you know, let's pivot. Let's cover the whole league. Let's let's do as much as we can. And I mean, we did I think we did 40 podcasts a week at one point. Uh, Tons of different topics, pregame shows, postgame shows, all of the league, just Yankees, daily radio covering everything. And then I would make those the little breakdown videos as, as kind of like, you know, advertisements for, for the main podcast. And that was their goal, just like, you know, catch some eyes. And then at the end saying for the full, our full thoughts, you know, check out the podcast. And, and those took off and they got a life of their own now. And uh, I think Savages in the Box was, was the first one that kind of just spiked everything. But I like to say that because we had two years of a base of a podcast, a merch store, events, like all this. So people found out about that savages in the box rant. They said, oh, who are these guys? And then we had a lot of places for them to land, which helped us grow instead of just being a one-off video that had a life of its own and, and died. And then and then uh, things just started going really crazy in, in 2019. We had, it was me and Jake and my brother was an employee that helped out. And uh, we got a bunch of calls from people that wanted to invest. They saw what we were doing and they saw the, the opening in, in the baseball media space. So it was just kind of perfect storm. And, and uh, I had good advi- advisors and good people with me the whole way telling me like you know this is a business it's not just like a, a job that you're that we're doing like I, my mindset was never i hope espn hires me or i hope blank hires me it was like, no i'm creating my own company here so we didn't know how big it could get some people were dreaming for me i was just trying to put in the work so it, it's happened it, it's all taken off now and we have a team that we you know we hired employees last year and they just really kicked ass for us so got us to the next step and then hopefully we can double up on baseball again this year and, and keep growing into wherever we want to grow moving on but yeah it's, it's very rewarding we took a, a hobby and turned it into a, a media company so it's pretty cool yeah what you guys have done is is tremendous jimmy i, I followed it all, all the way through and you know going from someone who was just given twenty five thousand dollars and you said it yourself you were afraid to spend that money to now getting a million dollars in funding that that i mean you and jake have to be beside yourself knowing that all these people are behind you not former players current players gms all of these people coming to you from going from a hobby to this empire just take us through the emotions maybe that you went through when you when you found out you were getting this million dollars yes i mean the that that's uh still the business side right and i still have a lot of self-value or self-pride and from the beginning it was you know i don't i don't need anyone's help we're going to do it on our own so during those negotiations and finding that it's still fighting because i think we're worth more you know what i mean and 
and that we're very excited we we we're in this position but you know the whole thing was built on banking on ourselves so we don't have jake and i we don't have too many moments where we really just get giddy and like are amazed i think it's because we believed in ourselves the whole time and it and it's a little bit like well yeah of course this is going to happen like this is why we're working so hard but when the announcement goes public and our community responds that that's when you'll you'll see me get really emotional because there's people that have been around and engaging and communicating with us and just talking whatever we want to talk to or helping us grow for a while now you know i started started from from zero i had, it was it was nothing no one knew who we were so there's a lot of people that are they they tell us like you know i'm really proud i feel so attached to this and i said you are you really are anyone that bought a shirt or or you know uh, bought something from a sponsor that was working with us uh, that's where i get really emotional it's the reaction from you know my parents who who are incredibly proud but also strangers who are really proud and and really feel part of the journey and that's that's what trips me up you know but i don't let that side of me come out in the, in the negotiations because i always think we're worth more need more if that makes sense Yes, it does. Jimmy, you do a tremendous job with Jake and, and your whole empire over there. JohnBoyMedia.com to see all of the shows that Jimmy is doing over there. Talking Yanks, Talking Baseball, of course, are his podcasts. And again, you could follow him at Twitter if you're not already, at JohnBoy underscore. Jimmy, thanks so much for the time. I know you're traveling right now. Safe travels back home. We appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me. That seals the deal on episode 38, the Johnny Blanchard edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camerata for producing the show. Subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, if you would. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back next Monday. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.